Shalom, and thank you for listening at BethEmmanuel.org. If you listen regularly at BethEmmanuel.org, consider supporting us with regular financial gifts and become a virtual member. Click on the Donate tab at BethEmmanuel.org to learn more. What's your calling in life? Is that something you have ever given any thought? For what purpose are you here? What's the life purpose that Hashem gave you when he sent you into this world? I can assure you that you have a purpose and a mission in life that only you can fulfill. You would not be here otherwise. You are not an accident or a random person. You are more like the main character in a story. God gave you some purpose and mission when he sent you into this world. And sometimes people refer to this as their calling. Moses had a calling on his life, Redeemer of Israel. Last week, we learned that he felt called to liberate the Hebrews from servitude in Egypt. When he had grown up, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God. Hebrews 11, 24 and 25. He left Pharaoh's palace, went out to his fellow Hebrews, and joined them in their labors, shouldering their burdens and defending them from injustice. He killed an Egyptian and hid his body in the sand. He tried to bring peace between the Hebrews, teaching them to set aside their disagreements and quarrels. Moses supposed that his brethren understood that God was granting them deliverance through him, but they did not understand. Acts 7.25 Moses abandoned the calling and spent 40 years as a shepherd in Midian, following the flocks of his father-in-law Jethro. You could say that he was no longer walking in his calling. Or was he? So far as he knew, he wasn't. But the Midrash Rabbah says that God watched the way that he cared for the flock. And when God saw that he cared for each individual member of the flock, when he pursued the one lost sheep, that had gone astray and returned it to the rest of the flock. He said, Since you have proven yourself to be a faithful shepherd over the flock of a human being, I will make you a shepherd over my flock. We have the idea of following after one's calling as the pursuit of one's individual and unique destiny or mission in life, that is, finding your life purpose. And we derive the language of calling from the New Testament. The apostles often speak in terms of walking in a calling and so forth. So you might ask yourself legitimately, what's my calling? But what if you don't feel like you have a calling? How do you know if you do or not? And how do you find out what it is? Today, we're going to heed the words of the apostle Paul who enjoins us to consider our calling. He says, consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. He urges us, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. 
He exhorts us and encourages and charges us, saying, I exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. And he makes a ruling for all the assemblies. Was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? Let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision. Each one of you should remain in the condition in which he was called. And he prays that you may know the hope, what is the hope to which he has called you. To this he called you through our gospel, so that you may obtain the glory of our master, Yeshua the Messiah. So what do all these passages share in common? They all speak of a specific calling of some sort. It's amazing how many New Testament passages use this language of calling. And it's not just in Paul's writings either. The writer of the epistle to the Hebrews addresses his exhortation to the holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling. Jude, the brother of the master, addresses his epistle to those who are called. Peter enjoins us, brothers, be all the more diligent to make your calling and election sure. The apostles seem to assume that everyone to whom they are writing has received some sort of calling. Let's look at it from the perspective of the Torah and the prophets. We see this language of call and calling at work in the Torah. God calls to Abraham. He says, Avraham, Avraham. Abraham replies, Hineni, here am I. He calls to Jacob. He says, Yaakov, Yaakov. And Jacob replies, Hineni, here am I. He calls to Moses. He says, Moshe, Moshe. And Moses replies, Hineni, here am I. In Hebrew, this one word, Hineni, it's the word behold, hine, with the addition of a first-person pronominal suffix. Behold, me, behold, here I, here I am, here am I. I remember visiting Lubavitch family, and the father calls to his son, Heshi. Heshi doesn't answer. He ignores his father. The father can see Heshi, and he knows he's not deaf. He knows the boy is in the room. He says a second time, Heshi. Heshi doesn't answer because he's reading a comic book or something, and he doesn't want to be told to do his chores or his homework or whatever his father has to say. A third time, growing more impatient, the father says, Heshi! This time Heshi says, just a second. And his father corrects him and says, When I say Heshi, you say Hineni. That's what it's like with our father in heaven. When he calls your name, you don't ignore him. You don't say, just a second. The only correct answer is Hineni. Behold, here am I, present, listening. So it's pretty clear that Abraham had a calling, Jacob had a calling, Moses had a calling. The Lord also called to Samuel, by the way. He called to Samuel like this. He says, Shmuel, Shmuel. And what do you think Shmuel says? Hineni. <laughs> pretty much. He says, Speak. For your servant is listening. That's the same idea as Hineni. So when God calls a person, as he does in these examples, 
He gives them a message, he gives them a task, he gives them a mission, or perhaps he gives them all three at once. And I could give you more examples. We could speak about the prophets. Remember the story of how Elijah calls Elisha? The Lord told Eliyahu, you shall, anoint, you, you shall anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, as a prophet in your place. So Elijah returns to the Galilee, and he finds Elisha working in the field, plowing with a team of oxen. First Kings 19 says, Elijah departed from there, and he found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, while he was plowing with twelve pairs of oxen before him, and he with the twelfth. And Elijah passed over to him and threw his mantle on him. He left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, Please, let me kiss my father and my mother, then I will follow you. And he said to him, Go back again, for what have I done to you? So he returned from following him and took the pair of oxen and sacrificed them and boiled their flesh with the implements of the oxen and gave it to the people and they ate. Then he arose and followed Elijah and ministered to him. In this story, Elisha hears the calling, responds to the calling, abandons his profession, burns his bridges, so to speak, burns the boats, and he says, Well, now that I'm taking up the calling of prophet, I'm not going to need these things any longer. And Elijah allows him to do this farewell feast with his family. Okay, remember the calling of Isaiah? who saw the Lord high and lifted up in his temple among the seraphim, chanting, Holy, Holy, Holy. And then Isaiah heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And Isaiah replied, Hineni, here am I, send me. And we could speak of the calling of Jeremiah, the calling of Ezekiel, the man of God from Judah, the calling of Amos, the date farmer from Tekoa, and on and on and on. God called them, gave them a message, gave them a task, gave them a mission. And that's how it worked in the Tanakh. A divine revelation, a divine voice calling your name, a message, a task, a mission. A prophet casts his mantle over you, tells you to leave your job and follow him because he has a message, a task, and a mission for you. That's what the calling looked like in the Tanakh. What does the calling look like in the New Testament? It looks pretty much the same. While on his way to Syria, Paul of Tarsus heard a voice, a voice from heaven saying to him, Shaul, Shaul. Now, Shaul is no slacker. He knows the Torah, he knows the Tanakh, and he's zealous for God. So there can be no doubt that he replies, Hineni, here am I. But then the voice asks him, Why are you persecuting me? To which he replies, I'm sorry, I, I, think, I think you have the wrong number. Actually, he replies, Who are you, master? Which is to say, who's calling? <laughs> the voice calling from heaven replies, I am Yeshua, whom you are persecuting. What happens next? What happens next, you already know. Paul is recruited into the ranks of Yeshua's disciples. He becomes an apostle, abnormally born, but a capital A apostle nonetheless. That was Shaul's calling. Unlike the call to Avraham, Avraham, or the call to Yaakov, Yaakov, or the call to Moshe, Moshe, or the call to Shmuel, Shmuel, this call came through the voice of our master Yeshua, who said, Shaul, Shaul. 
the epistle to the Hebrews explains long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son. So in these last days, the voice calling to us from heaven calls to us in the voice of Yeshua. And the calling is the calling of discipleship to Yeshua. So if we zoom in on this idea of following your calling, as it appears in the New Testament, it takes us to the shores of Lake Galilee where Yeshua called his first disciples. He came upon two fishermen, Peter and Andrew, who were engaged in their profession as fishers of fish, and he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boats mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. As he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, Follow me. And he rose and followed him, abandoning a lucrative post. The calling of Yeshua is a radical call to abandon everything else and join his school of learning. Imagine being a senior in high school and already in a great job with your dad's construction company and he started you at 60000 a year and benefits and you are in a position to take over the company in 10 years. And then you receive an acceptance letter from Harvard offering you a full-ride scholarship to come and learn under some of the most prestigious scholars in the world. But there's a catch. You have to leave home immediately and you will have to leave the job behind for your younger brother. The calling of Yeshua is more than that. You've been accepted into Yeshua's school of disciples, but you have to accept the calling, and you're going to have to study. Yeshua was not calling people to become converts. He was not trying to convert disciples to Christianity or Messianic Judaism, for that matter. He was not advocating or trying to sell a new religion or even a religious innovation. He was raising up disciples. The idea that Yeshua was summoning people to join his religion or his religious movement is an artifact of replacement theology. The call is not a call to join a religion. It's a call to join a school. And that school has a religion. If we have accepted his call, then it means that discipleship is our primary vocation and identity. Don't think of yourself as your job or your career. When someone says, what do you do? It's natural to reply with a description. I'm a doctor. I'm an engineer. I'm a brain surgeon. I'm, I'm a coal miner. Whatever the case may be. But the real answer, the correct answer, the answer to the question for a disciple of Yeshua should be, I'm a student of Yeshua of Nazareth. I'm a disciple. Of course, like any full-time student, you do some work on the side to pay for tuition and living expenses. For example, Paul made tents to support himself while teaching. That's where the term tent making comes from. I do some other stuff, some tent making, to make some money to support my schooling in Shlichut and so that I have some money for tzedakah. In other words, you're not an electrician who happens to study some Bible on the side. You're a disciple who does some moonlighting on the side as an electrician. 
We can apply the same rule to religion and denomination. Our identity should never be, I'm a Catholic, I'm a Protestant, I'm a Pentecostal, I'm a Presbyterian, I'm Evangelical, I'm Messianic. It should be, I am a disciple of Yeshua of Nazareth. Maybe you worship with Catholics, maybe you worship with Protestants, maybe you worship with Messianic Jews and Gentiles, whatever the case may be. But the main component of identity is discipleship. You are probably familiar with my teaching that breaks discipleship into four jobs. A disciple of the sages had four basic jobs. One, memorize his teacher's words. Two, learn his teacher's interpretations of the Torah. Three, imitate his teacher's customs and traditions. Four, become a teacher by raising up disciples. Recently, someone asked me for a source. They asked me, where did you get this list of four tasks? There is no source. But neither did I just make it up. Instead, I learned this from paying attention to the relationship between the disciples and their teachers in the stories of the Mishnah, the Gemara, and the Midrash. That's what Torah education looked like in the days of the apostles. In the days of the apostles, memorizing your teacher's words was the oral tradition process of transmitting the oral Torah. But as a disciple of Yeshua, we are not memorizing the Mishnah. We are memorizing his teachings about the kingdom, his words, his sayings, because they are the words of eternal life. And whoever discovers what these words mean will not taste death. In the days of the apostles, learning one's teacher's interpretations was the process of understanding how your teacher understood the Tanakh and how he drew out its meanings, as it says in Pirkei Avot, Receive a teacher upon yourself and remove all doubt. As a disciple of Yeshua, we learn the hermeneutics of Yeshua from his teachings and from the teachings of the disciples. And they teach us the principles of how to understand the Tanakh, how to unpack it, and how to apply it. In the days of the apostles, imitating a teacher's customs and traditions was the means of learning both halakha and minhag that characterized a particular school of discipleship. More than that, it was the means of cleaving to the teacher, the tzaddik, who was cleaving to Hashem. The goal was to become like the teacher, as it says in the gospel, every disciple fully trained will be like his teacher. As a disciple of Yeshua, we can have no higher goal than to become like our master, imitating his ways, his customs, his traditions, but also cleaving to his righteous person through whom we cleave to God. And in the days of the apostles, when a disciple was fully trained, he became like his teacher and raised up his own disciples, as it says in Perkei Avot, be deliberate in judgment, make offense for the Torah, and raise up many disciples. In other words, the call of discipleship is not a call to isolate ourselves and study the Bible for our own edification. It's a call to raise up more disciples for Yeshua, to advance the message of the kingdom, and to declare the good news to the world. That's why discipleship to Yeshua is on the road. The classroom is often the open road. The school is itinerant and mission-centric. The curriculum is not just the Bible. The Bible is the textbook, but the curriculum and the coursework is the proclamation of the good news about the kingdom. That's the calling. 
He tells us to first count the cost and consider whether or not we are able to really accept the calling. It might mean breaking relationships or even leaving behind family and other responsibilities, as was the case for Abraham, our father, who set out for Canaan with his father, Terah. Terah lingered in Haran, and Abraham stayed there, intending to remain there with his aging father to take care of him, as Rashi explains, but then was told, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. Abraham was not allowed to remain in Haran to bury his father. Likewise, when a would-be disciple replied to Yeshua's call, Master, let me go and bury my father, he replied, Follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. Yeshua tells us to first count the cost and consider whether or not we are really able to accept the calling. It's not going to be easy. It might mean leaving home and enduring more deprivations and difficulties than even Jacob, our father, endured when he left Canaan. Jacob, at least, found a stone upon which to rest his head at night, but the master warns another would-be disciple, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Yet another said to him, as Elisha had said to Elijah, I will follow you, Master, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. Yeshua did not grant him leave to do so as Elijah had done when he found Elisha plowing behind the oxen. Instead, he says, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. The call is higher priority. I said that when God calls a person, it's because he has a message for the person, a task for the person, and a mission for the person. In this case, the message is the good news that Yeshua is the Messiah who is bringing the kingdom, and the kingdom is at hand. The task involves leaving behind other pursuits to follow him as his student in his school, the classroom of discipleship, learning his words, imitating him, and transmitting his teaching. The mission is the job of picking up his mantle by raising up more disciples through the proclamation of the good news. So we see that the language of being called in the New Testament is not so much about a personal mission that God has called you to undertake, like your own narrow destiny or finding your personal purpose. You do have a unique calling and unique purpose, which only you can fulfill, and God needs you, specifically you, to fulfill that role, to do that job, and to accomplish that task. His finger wrote it on your soul before you were born. But that's not what the New Testament is talking about when it talks about our calling. You don't have to speculate. I wonder what my calling is. Yeshua is calling you. Like when he called to Paul, Shaul, Shaul. He's calling you to discipleship. And he calls your name twice. What do you say when you hear him calling your name as he does today? You say, Hineni, behold, here am I. Yeshua is calling your name because he has a message for you, the good news about the kingdom of heaven. He has a task for you, radical discipleship, a life of learning as his student and understudy. He has a mission for you, to proclaim the good news, 
and raise up more disciples. This is your calling. And if you accept it, it's who you are now. When the apostles tell us, consider your calling, it means, consider what it means to be a disciple. When the apostles say, walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, it means, live in a manner consistent with the standards of a disciple of Yeshua. And when they say, make your calling and election sure, it means start acting like a disciple to prove that the master chose the right person when he chose you to be his disciple. And when they say, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, it means that we all share in this calling to follow Yeshua as his disciples. It's the thing we have in common, the thing that binds us together, the thing that gives meaning and purpose to our lives. I'm grateful to God to be part of a congregation, to have the privilege of serving the kingdom with you, my brothers and sisters at Beth Emmanuel, a people set apart by this holy calling. You are amazing people. People who have heard the call and responded, Hineni, behold, here am I. You are precious, every one of you, individually, and all of you together, precious to our Master Yeshua, who loves all of his disciples with the love with which the Father loves him. Consider your calling. And learn from it And find rest for your soul